I invite you to uh, turn with me in the scripture to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 3. I'll be reading verses 1 uh, through 12, Matthew 3, verses 1 through 12, and uh, tonight we'll be looking uh, at uh, the first uh, six verses of Matthew chapter 3. We are looking at the Gospel of Matthew together here in our evening worship services and the overall theme of the gospel that we're looking at is the gospel of the kingdom, as we will find as we continue our way through this uh, book. Uh, We have already seen uh, the ancestry of the king, where he has come from. Uh, We have seen the birth of the king, that he has many names, Jesus, Emmanuel. Uh, We have seen the uh, worship of the king, Uh, that many will come from afar, as we see it here at the beginning of the gospel. And last time we saw the uh, opposition to the king. And here in Matthew chapter 3, we are introduced to the herald of the king. And so this is the word of the Lord, Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea And all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that as we journey through uh, the gospel of Matthew that uh, you have so graciously given to us. Lord, we know that uh, you have purposed for us to see something of the glory and the beauty and the, the majesty of of Jesus. And so we pray that uh, tonight as uh, we enter this chapter and are introduced to John, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear his message, that you would help us, Lord, to see his pointing us towards the Savior and not only pointing us there, uh, but that we might go there and find in him uh, our all in all. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, things are... Things are not always uh, as they appear. I remember when we lived in New Zealand, 
Uh, we had been there about a year, and a, uh, a church about two hours south of us was without a, without a pastor. And uh, one day at this church, uh, they were having a Bible study and, and, and prayer time, and uh, there was a homeless man that appeared at their door, and he was trying to get into the, into the church. He was hanging around the building, and uh, as they were gathered there for study and prayer, no one really knew uh, what to do with him. Uh, months later, that church uh, had their new pastor, and Lisa and I were visiting with all the pastors and wives in our presbytery, and, uh, and their new pastor shared with us that when he was trying to determine whether or not to accept the call to this church, he dressed up as a homeless man and appeared at their door. Things are not always as they appear. Who is this man? Um, no doubt you have thought of this as you have read the Bible accounts of John the Baptist, and uh, we're introduced to him right here in those days. John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness uh, of Judea. Well, John, as he appears, as we're going to find out tonight, uh, had a, a very uh, great calling, and even though he uh, came in an appearance that uh, perhaps people not, would have not thought very much of, his message uh, was uh, vital to the coming of Jesus. So tonight we want to think about the man, uh, the message, and then the marvel. Uh, so first of all, the man. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, verse 3. For this is he of who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Well, chapter 3 begins with, in those days. Well, what days are those? Well, the last we read in chapter 2... Uh, we read of Jesus and his parents having to flee to Nazareth's, Nazareth of Galilee. Now, in those days, as John the Baptist comes upon the scene here, King Jesus is uh, growing up quietly in, in Nazareth. And it's really amazing, isn't it, that there's no, there's no Bible books here. There's no Bible books about the, uh, about the childhood of, of Jesus growing up. All we have of Jesus' childhood before he's about 30 years old uh, is uh, Luke 2, which tells us of the child Jesus at 12 years old going to the temple and then returning back uh, to Nazareth. And so Jesus is quietly in those days uh, growing up in Nazareth. This is about the year 27 AD. And uh, Luke gives us the, uh, the context of these days over in Luke chapter 3, where he writes, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, uh, in the wilderness. And so there's Luke again. You know, Luke begins his gospel by saying, I'm going to give you a, a very careful account of, um, of everything that's happened. He says, I've searched these things. And so you notice right away, Luke gives us all the names of all the people, all the governing authorities in those days, whether it's Caesar or Pilate or Herod uh, or the high, high priests. And it's in those days, John the Baptist, the Bible says, came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. 
Uh, John the Baptist, you could translate it John the Baptizer. Uh, that uh, name there simply means one who performs the act of, of baptism. And uh, that's why he's known as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. But he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Says William Hendrickson, the wilderness here is a term indicating the rolling badlands between the hill country of Judea to the west and the Dead Sea and lower Jordan to the east, stretching northward to about the point where the Jabbok River flows into the Jordan. It's indeed, says Hendrickson, a desolation. He's been there. A vast undulating expanse of barren chalky soil covered with pebbles, broken stones, and rocks. Here and there a bit of brushwood appears with snakes crawling underneath. He refers here to verse 7 of our passage. It's clear, however, says Hendrickson from Matthew 3, 5, that the terrain of John's activity extended even to the east bank of the Jordan and included the entire region around on both banks of the part of the Jordan. And so it was a, a desolate place. And John the Baptist, the Bible says, came preaching. Now this word preaching here is very important. It is the Greek word keruso. Uh, it is uh, the most uh, common word for preaching the gospel in the New Testament. But it's a wonderful word because it was a word that was, word that was used of a, uh, of a herald. Uh, someone who would be a, well, we could translate it, for instance, as a public, a public crier. Somebody who would go before uh, royalty uh, and to proclaim his coming. Uh, this would be the person, uh, the public crier, who would say, you know, hear ye, hear ye. Uh, something like that. Uh, the king uh, is at hand. And that's the thing. Kings have heralds. They have kerusos, those who proclaim their coming or speak on their behalf. Kings have heralds, and so does Jesus the king. Here comes John preaching. Uh, in ancient times, writes one, it was common for a herald to precede the arrival of the monarch, that's the king, to announce his coming and to prepare for his safe and proper travel. With a coterie of servants, the herald would make sure that the roadway was as smooth and uncluttered as possible. Holes would be filled, rocks and debris would be removed, and unsightly litter would be burned or hidden. As the group traveled along and worked, the herald would proclaim the king's coming to everyone he encountered. His twofold duty was to proclaim and to prepare. This is what John's ministry did. For God's great king, Jesus Christ. That's what a herald would do to make way for the king. You couldn't have a king or imagine, you know, Queen Elizabeth, you know, coming to your town and there's garbage littered all over your, your main street. And uh, no, that's not, no, uh, make way. Uh, the king or the queen is coming. And this is what the herald does. Well, we notice, of course, in verse 4, who was this John? Now, John, the Bible says, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts uh, and wild honey. Uh, now, John, uh, as the Bible introduces us uh, to John the Baptist, uh, clearly it is uh, alerting us uh, to the fact that John was not your normal, uh, not your normal resident uh, in Judea in this time. He dresses uh, simplistically, but he also dresses in a way that's meant to remind us of the prophet's of the Old Testament. In fact, if you look at 2 Kings 1 verse 8 uh, later tonight, you will find that in fact this is exactly what uh, the prophet Elijah wore as a prophet of God. Uh, this garment of camel's hair was perhaps typical clothing of a, of a prophet and it's, his food is simple and uh, uh, it's a sign of, a sign of humility. 
Now, this is important, of course, because the herald uh, is announcing the coming of a king, in this case, uh, making way uh, for the Lord. And one of the things that uh, we find in the, in the Gospels is that John the Baptist himself is very much aware of the contrast between himself uh, and Jesus. Uh, that whereas John here is portrayed in this, uh, in this manner of wearing a prophet's garb, eating uh, simply, um, living in the wilderness, he's very much aware that the one who is coming uh, is much greater than he. And so in this very uh, section that we read, verse 11, John will say, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. So now John himself, that's, this is John wearing a garment of camel's hair, but John is very quick already to say that the one who is coming is much mightier than I. Now this will carry through in the other gospels. For instance, in uh, the gospel of John chapter 3, uh, we read these words, John three twenty-eight, uh, where John is uh, speaking to those who were asking him who he was You yourselves, he says, bear me witness that I said, this is John the Baptist, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, that's me, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. And so John was always aware of the fact that, uh, that his was the uh, role of preparation uh, for the one who was to come who is much mightier than he. But even his clothing, his food, indicates to us his humility, but also his role uh, as a prophet. Uh, Luke will describe uh, John's ministry really in one verse uh, as far as uh, what he was doing all these years before he speaks publicly. Luke 1.80 goes like this, And the child, speaking of John the Baptist, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness." until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So we don't know how long John was there, but he was there a long time. Uh, Luke says this this was a good part of his life, until uh, the time of his public ministry begins, in preparation for the public ministry of Jesus. You know, Jesus would say about John the Baptist uh, that um, among those born of women, uh, there is none, none greater than John the Baptist, you see. His ministry uh, is of such importance. This is what Jesus says. Now, of course, the Bible passage here tells us that John, of course, was also spoken of uh, by the prophets. Verse 3, for this is, so John the Baptist is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So this is the one. Uh, Matthew tells us uh, right off the bat here in chapter 3, John the Baptist is the one uh, that Isaiah was speaking of. You might remember there were, there were other prophecies uh, of one to come. For instance, at the very end of the Old Testament, we read these words in Malachi 3 verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Malachi 4, uh, verses 5 and 6, the very last words of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, 
lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Elijah the prophet will come, and what's he going to do? Well, he's going to turn, he's going to turn, he's going to turn hearts, you see. That's his, his role. Luke 1, 17, we read this. Uh, this is the uh, prophecy to his father uh, about the birth of John, his son. And he will go, that is your son, John, will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And then, of course, later in the Gospel of Matthew 17, we will read uh, these words in Matthew 17, verse 10, when there, people are wondering, um, you know, where is this Elijah? And the disciples asked Jesus then, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And Jesus answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And so John was spoken of by the prophets. He is the voice. He is the one who is to prepare the way in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's he's small. Uh, Jesus is much mightier than he, and he is on the way, but John comes to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament that one would come to prepare the way for the Lord. Now, it's real important because uh, this, uh, this uh, introduction of John the Baptist is found in Matthew, it's found in Mark, uh, it's found in Luke, and John himself understood uh, who he was and what his role was because we read this in John 1, uh, 21, where John, and, and they asked him, they asked John, what then, are you Elijah? That is actually Elijah the prophet? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, the voice. Uh, We were at family camp this past week, and one of the... um, one of the roles at family camp that uh, our brother, Pastor Pontier, fulfilled for 30 years uh, was uh, he was the voice of family camp, which simply meant that whenever there was an announcement to be made, uh, you know, a song to be introduced or uh, anything like that, that was his task uh, to make the announcement. But that's what he was known as, simply the voice. Oh, he has a great voice, doesn't he? You've heard Pastor Pontier and, uh, and his deep voice. And... Uh, the voice. That's what John said. That's what I am. I am simply the voice. Uh, it could be translated the sound uh, or the noise. And here's the whole thing. He is simply, his life is all about um, speaking of the coming of another. He is simply uh, a signpost uh, along the way to bellow out, to herald to others, Uh, in light of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King. And friends, in many ways, that's what you and I simply are to be, right? A voice speaking to others about the King, not about ourselves. Think about the Apostle Paul. How did he think about himself as an apostle, as a missionary? This this goes through the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 3. Paul says, well, you know, um, uh, I planted and Apollos watered and... um, you know, but uh, neither Apollos or I are anything but, but God who causes uh, 
the growth. Now, Paul's not self-loathing there, but he's saying that in comparison to the Lord, Paul is but a servant who goes before. And uh, such was Paul, such was John, and, and really such are we. We point the way uh, to the Savior. We are the channels that others might see only him. Well, that's the man. That's the, that's the man, John. He knew who he was, a voice preparing the way. Well, what is his message? Well, John has a very particular message that we hear of. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching, heralding in the wilderness of Judea uh, to any who would hear, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he was the voice spoken of by Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So as a herald, as an ambassador, uh, John did not come uh, with his own message. Uh, He was given a message from the Lord. Wrote one, John's message was not prolix, that is, um, long and complicated, but pithy, you know, short and sweet. Uh, it was not soothing, but soul-searching. It was a message not flattering, but frightening, at least to a considerable degree. His message is repent. The word, the Greek word is metanoeo, to think Differently, It has the Greek word for mind in there, a turning of the mind. To think differently means to reconsider, means to have a change of mind, means to have a change of heart. To repent is to have a change of mind, a change of heart. Now, this past week at family camp, Dr. Troxell from Westminster Seminary spoke of the heart of faith and repentance. He gave us this definition of the heart. The heart is the governing center of a person which put simply reflects the unity of our inner being and which put comprehensively describes the complexity of our inner being as composed of mind, desires, and will. In one sense, uh, when you think about the heart in the Bible, it's very simple. It's, It's your whole inner being who you are. But then Dr. Troxell said, well, but when we start taking apart the Bible and looking more carefully, uh, the heart is really, uh, is really complex because he talked about how the heart knows and the heart sees and the heart accepts and the heart loves and the heart grieves and the heart receives and the heart chooses and the heart turns and the heart rests. So he talked about the mind of the heart and the sense of the heart and the knowledge of the heart. That is that when you think about, uh, when you think about this word repent, It has to do with a change of mind, but in the scripture that includes a change of heart because it's our heart that that thinks, our heart that knows, our heart that uh, sees. The heart thinks, knows, sees, and accepts truth. But likewise, friends, our thinking and our minds have been affected by sin. There'd be no need to have a turn of mind unless our minds have gone astray. Um, this is called the noetic effects of sin from that Greek word I just mentioned. That is that uh, sin has affected our whole being, including our thinking. We see this clearly in Matthew 16, 23. Remember when uh, Jesus is speaking to Peter about what must happen to him, that he must suffer and he must die, right? And Peter says to Jesus, may it never be. And then Jesus rebukes Peter and says, uh, uh, get behind me, Satan. Uh, 
you have in, in mind the, you, don't, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And so Peter, in his thinking, right, was, was not thinking about what, what, what's pleasing to God, what is the will of God he had in mind, in that sense, the things of men. His thinking uh, needed to be changed. Now, we all know how difficult it is to change someone else's mind, uh, nonetheless, or, or even more so, changing our own mind. But think about Genesis 6-5, with, uh, uh, when the flood comes, and the Bible says that every uh, intention of, the, of men's heart was, was evil all the time. And uh, Moses repeats that phrase uh, later in Genesis, after the flood. So it's not just before the flood, but after the flood. Our thinking is, 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 uh, leads to sin. Romans 1.21 tells us that we suppress, we might, we might know, we might see the truth, but, but our minds suppress the truth in unrighteousness. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us that the evil one has blinded our minds, right? So that we can't see uh, the truth of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, right? The evil one blinds our minds. So, you know, yeah, our minds are affected by sin. So, when John comes on the scene, he says we need a change of mind and heart. We need to repent of sin. This, of course, is what the Apostle Paul preached as he reviewed his preaching ministry at the end of the book of Acts. He preached uh, repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself will preach the same message as John. Uh, Matthew 4, 17, we'll read this. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The apostles too, in Mark 6, 12, we're told when Jesus sent out the apostles two by two, uh, the Bible says they went about preaching repentance. That is a turn of heart, a turn of mind. This repentance is, as we confess in the Westminster Confession of Faith, a saving grace. Nobody repents unless the Lord sovereignly grants repentance, even as he sovereignly grants faith. Remember in Acts eleven eighteen, 18, Peter comes back with a report of what's happening in the, in the Gentile churches, and he says, well, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the Gentiles, and the Jewish believers are aghast, and, and, um, but then they hear the testimony, and then they say, well, well, well surely it looks as if uh, God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance unto life, you see. Repentance is, is granted by God. Repentance is a turning from sin, and it is a turning to Christ in faith. So friends, repentance, of course, what John was preaching, presupposes that our lives are off course and they need to be turned around. John did not come to the world and say, well, you're pretty much on the right track. Let me just, let me just ease you in a little better here. Let me just add something here. No, there had to be a turning and a turning from from sin had to be turned around. I remember years ago when we first moved here to to Redlands, uh, one of the kids had a birthday, and we took them, uh, or I took them go karting. I think I recall, and uh, and uh, we hadn't done this before, indoor go karting, and I forget who it was, but somehow we're whipping around the tracks, and and I'm behind, and I see some of the kids ahead, and one kid goes around the corner, and then another children, come, another child comes kind of going pretty fast, and and somehow they miss something, and they just went airborne. <laughs> And uh, I think they crashed into one of the children ahead of them, and you know the car swings out of <laughs> swings out of out of kilter, and so you know pull the go kart over and get the go kart turned around. 
and, uh, and to turn around, right, and get back, uh, get back on track. These two saving graces of repentance and faith are distinct, uh, but they are not separate in the Bible. They are two sides of the same coin. There's no accepting and receiving and resting upon Christ by faith without a seeing and grieving and turning from sin. These things go together in the Scripture. And John, of course, tells us why now is the time to repent. Repent, he says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, as we mentioned, will say the exact same thing. Uh, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is, Jesus the king, remember, chapter 2, folks from afar come. Jesus the king has come. He's worshipped by the nations. He's opposed by many. But his rule and reign has come, and every king has a realm or a kingdom. And the kingdom of heaven, says John, is at hand. That is, it's approaching. It is, it is drawing near, actually, in the, in the text, in the Greek. It starts with the word near. So instead of uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it is uh, repent. At hand is the kingdom of heaven, or repent. Near is the kingdom of heaven. Word order is very important uh, in the New Testament. The thing that's emphasized here is near. The, the king has come. And his reign and rule has come. It is near. It is at the door. Near is the kingdom. Yoda would have loved Greek. Right? Not the kingdom of heaven is near, but near is the kingdom. Right? Near is the kingdom. You start with the, the nearness to emphasize that the king has come. Near is the kingdom. And that's why it's time to repent. Matthew's going to mention the kingdom of heaven 32 times. Why the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of God? Well, you might remember that as Matthew is mainly, uh, many believe, writing to a Jewish audience. The Jewish Jews, of course, didn't take the name of God and so in, uh, or, or to speak the name of God. They thought that was blasphemy. And so uh, Matthew uses that term, kingdom of heaven, uh, many, many times. But it really means the same thing. And we know that because over in Matthew 19... Uh, in this very gospel, as Matthew's writing of Jesus, Matthew 19, 23, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And so it's the same thing, but a, a different emphasis, but it's the same kingdom, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. In the Old Testament, David spoke of the Lord as king forever. Daniel spoke of the everlasting kingdom. Now, in one sense, of course, God is sovereign. He is king over all the world all the time. But there is a, there is a, there is a reign and rule of the king that the Bible says particularly is manifest uh, in the lives of his people. The reign and rule of Jesus made manifest in the lives of his people. And the king has come. The Lord has come. His kingdom is at hand. And so so Matthew says, now is the time. Now is the time to repent. That is, now is the time to turn from sin in our thinking, in our loving, and in our doing, and be ready with open hands uh, to receive uh, the coming king. Now's the time. Now, I'm no trapeze artist, as you can imagine. But if you are swinging, let's imagine you're swinging, holding on to one person on these uh, bars overhead, let's say you're at the circus, 
and uh, you're holding on to one person and you're swinging back and forth. Um, you can't be grasped by another until you have, have let go, until you open your hands. You need to let go the grip that you might be grasped by another. Now, all analogies, of course, fail, uh, but I think this is helpful. Now, of course, only the Holy Spirit can pry our fingers <laughs> off that, uh, that, uh, that, tra- person, that other person we're holding on to. But you, you understand, you cannot be grasped by another when you are still grasping yourself. Repentance is opening the hand full of idols, empty to receive Christ. No one accepts, receives, and rests by faith in Jesus with full hands. Right? Mm-mm. Only empty hands, you see. Repentance is the, is the letting go of sin, turning from sin, that our hands might receive by faith Jesus. These things in the Bible are always together. Repentance and faith. Now, of course, this quote comes from Isaiah, taken from Isaiah 40, 3 to 5. John is the voice of one crying, Make ready the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. That is, clear the way, uh, remove the obstacles, uh, make open access for the king. Now, back in Isaiah, uh, that, was all about, um, that was all about the Lord um, bringing his people back uh, from exile, making straight the path so that they can return from, from Babylon, uh, a straight path for the Lord to lead them home. Clear out the obstacles as you come through the desert, coming back home. And here's the thing. The coming of Yahweh in Isaiah 40 in the Old Testament, Matthew says, uh, is all about Jesus. Because Isaiah 40 says, uh, you know, prepare the way for the Lord. It's talking about Yahweh, the Lord. And here, Matthew's saying when John speaks this word, he's talking about the Lord, But the Lord he's talking about is Jesus. This is a powerful testimony to the divinity of Jesus. The Lord comes. The King comes. The King is coming. And John is saying, are you ready for the King? Uh, Are you prepared for his arrival? Are you still grasping on to your sin? Uh, But the King is coming. And you can't receive him by faith uh, when your hands are full of idols. On a much lesser scale, it does not compare. When you are expecting company, do you leave your house a mess? Do you leave shoes all over the entrance to your front door? Um, You know, dirty dishes on the counter, soiled clothes on the floor. No, you clear the path so your honored guest uh, is welcomed in. You see, John is to be a voice. He's to announce Christ's approach and presence and calling on people to prepare the way, make straight his path, that is, By grace, be prepared for his coming by this complete change of mind and heart and remove any obstacles from him having ready access to your heart. What kind of obstacles? Well, we're going to find out about those next time. But obstacles like pride, for instance, like when the king is coming and you saying to yourself, well, you know, we have Abraham as our father. We don't need Jesus. I don't need Jesus. Or obstacles like this. Well, listen. Uh, We are already the righteous. It's not like we're sinners. 
You'll be, there'll be no receiving of the king, bowing down to the king, if you believe that. The wilderness and desert here are apt figures and pictures of the human heart in sin. A barren waste of rocks and dirt and dry and, and heat. You know, our hearts are desperately wicked and our minds, John says, are affected by sin. We have habits of sin and from all these we must turn, says John, repent. The king has come, his kingdom's at hand, his rule and reign is here. And so in one sense, the message of the man at the opening of the New Testament really echoes the heart of God as it's expressed, as you'll remember, in the Old Testament. Passages like Ezekiel 18, which goes like this, Ezekiel 18, 32. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. Or Ezekiel 33, verse 11, which goes like this, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? That's John's message echoing the heart of God. He's just there in the wilderness uh, for all to hear. Uh, repent. The kingdom's at hand. The king is coming. The Lord is at hand. Be prepared to receive your king. Well, just quickly, the marvel, of course, is this, that as John preaches there in the wilderness, notice how the Bible uh, describes the response in verse 5. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, no preacher uh, ever had such a response. Jerusalem, remember, he's, he's over by the Jordan. Uh, we'll learn in another gospel exactly where. But he's out by the Jordan. The city, people of the city, uh, the countryside, Judea, all the folks around the Jordan River, east and west, north and south, come to John confessing their sins. And they receive this sign of cleansing from sin as they're baptized in the Jordan River. This is a marvelous thing. The call to repent goes out, and uh, the whole countryside, the Bible says, comes out to John confessing their sins. That is, they come out to acknowledge. Because you know what the word confession means? It means to acknowledge, to assent, <laughs> to agree fully. It means to say the same thing. So when you confess something, um, the Bible says we are sinners in need of forgiveness. And when you confess something, you're saying the same thing. I'm a sinner who needs forgiveness. It is John calling the people and calling us to turn from our sin and the people in John's day and us today saying, yes, I am a sinner. I need to turn. 
And the marvel of that, of course, is that the Bible tells us uh, that no one, no one comes to that conviction without the convicting work of the Holy Spirit of God. But when the Holy Spirit works, <laughs> you become convicted that, that this message, this need to turn, to change, that change of heart, change of mind, that I'm on the wrong path uh, and, uh, and I need to turn from sin so that I might receive the Lord Jesus and all his glory and all his beauty and all his benefits that we talked about earlier tonight. Uh, that, that conviction, you see, is a marvel of the work of God's grace. That's what happened to, to David, you know, when, uh, remember Nathan came to, Nathan the prophet came to him and, and told him that story about a neighbor stealing the, uh, the neighbor's lamb to host a dinner. And, uh, and David was so burning with anger. How could another man do such a thing? He needs to die. And uh, as we look at the world today, we might say, oh, oh boy, there's, you know, there's transgenderism and there's homosexuality and there's abuse of power in the government and there's, there's so much sin, right? All, all around us and all the folks around us, unless they repent, there's going to be trouble. You know, and they're gonna, they're, there's going to be judgment for those folks all around us. But you remember how that story ended, right, with David? That by God's grace, uh, Nathan the prophet, again, the word of God comes to David, and as he is so burning with anger at the sins of others, <laughs> Nathan told him, you are the man. You are the woman. It's us who need to repent for the kingdom of heavens at hand. The Lord has come. The king has come. And none of us receive the king, right? With hands full, we only receive the king by God's grace, with hands that have been emptied by the grace of God. Friends, the message of repentance is for the church Today, But the marvel is that when that message is faithfully proclaimed, you see, God will bring his people, you see, and they will confess their sins. They will receive that sign of cleansing, you see. But there's other people who come to John. So what happens when you come, but you don't repent? Well... Uh, this is what we will hear next time from John. In him, in repenting, oh, there's great blessing as we confess our sins. But what if we come with no intent of, um, of letting go our sin? Well, uh, we'll see that next time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for the gracious revelation of your will. We know, Lord, that as John the Baptist comes upon the scene, it had been 400 years without a prophet. And so you have graciously sent here in Matthew 3 uh, a word from the Lord, one to prepare the way for the king. And so we see, Lord, in his message, a message that was repeated by Jesus, by the apostles, by Peter, by Paul, a message of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray tonight uh, that we would not be those like the uh, religious leaders of the day who hear the call to repentance and think of all the other people who need to turn from their sin. 
all the other people who, who need a Savior. But Lord, that you would remind us that this call comes to us. That we are those who have turned away from you. We are those who are on the wrong track. We are those who, who need to be redeemed and saved from our own sin. And that you have graciously sent the Savior, God with us, the King, to rescue not only our neighbors, but to rescue us from the condemnation for our sin in mind, heart, and will that we deserve. Thank you for sending that Savior, that we might embrace him as our Lord, that we might accept him, receive him, rest upon him by faith as our only Savior. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.